awesome. Imagine that, being able to uh, change somebody's life by changing, helping them to see better. So good, inspirational. Uh, Mike mentioned my name's Pete MacArthur, and um, it's such a privilege to share with you this morning on part two of Love Mondays. Now, this series is so uh, important for us to get on the inside because in the days between Monday and Friday, uh, most of us here would would spend approximately one-third of our time in a workplace of some kind, whether it's at home or whether it's in paid employment, most of us spend about one third in that workplace and, and another third, if you're good, probably sleeping. Um, and then the rest of your life gets crammed into that final third, that final eight hour gap. And so the workplace takes up a huge portion of our Monday through Friday. I wonder if, uh, if what your first job was. My first, one of my first jobs, it wasn't the very first one, but I was working for my father in a small factory, and uh, my job was to do all the donkey work around the factory, and part of that was to label mats. Uh, The factory produced children's mats, um, among other low-cost mats that would go into different stores around the country, and and part of the job was to have stacks and stacks of these mats to label. I don't know if anyone's worked with a labeling gun, but it's, it's just a small little handheld gun that you would, um, with a, a long needle at the end of it, and you'd put it through whatever you're trying to label, pull the trigger, and then a little bit of plastic would shoot through, and uh, it would label the thing. And it's just mind-numbing work. The task of putting a label on something takes like, I don't know, five seconds, just bang, it gets, gets it done. I just have hundreds of these things, just rep- repetitive work. And, and I really, really did not like that job. <laughs> In fact, I don't know, I might not actually tell my dad to watch this one. He usually watches my messages, but I won't, I won't let this one slip because uh, it was not a great job. But the hardest thing about that job was that the more grumpy you got, the worse your attitude got, the more likely you were of plunging that needle into one of your fingers. I, I, I put that thing through the mat into one of my fingers so, so many times, multiple times a day. And it was, you get into this vicious cycle because obviously you're grumpy at, at hurting your fingers. And, and, and that uh, makes it even worse and makes you even more likely to... Uh, to cut your fingers on this needle. And and it raises a question for me, a question that I want to ask you today as part of our Love Mondays, is that how do you handle a job when you don't really like it? You know, most of us, if we're honest, as much as we tell our teenagers to find a job you love, right? We always tell our kids, find a job you love, find a job you love. And then we, we get to be adults and we think, there's at least a portion of my job that I don't love. Everybody here has a portion of their job that they, that they don't like, yeah. <laughs> including me. In fact, there is a particular portion of my job that, that I, as much as I see the value in it, I leave it to Thursday afternoon because I don't like it. How do we make a contribution in a workplace when we struggle with liking the job or even worse, How do we make a contribution, make a difference in our workplace when we struggle to even like our boss? Because not all bosses are easy to respect. 
I know, I know what you're saying here is you're saying, oh, Pete, I, I'm not, uh, you don't know my boss. You don't know how hard it is to respect. Maybe, maybe he's got a moral failure, which makes him difficult to respect. Or maybe your boss, maybe she kind of cooks the books on the side and uh, has not very much financial integrity. And so, and so they're hard to respect. And, uh, and so, so when I talk about, hey, how do you handle a job with a boss that's difficult to respect? That is a great question that kind of hangs over us. There is, a, uh, there is a character in the Bible called Daniel, who I'd really love to study with you today, who had the worst boss in the world. This guy, I'm going to tell you what, Daniel's boss was the most horrendous character that history tells. Maybe, uh, let me give you a bit of backstory to the character of Daniel. You see, the story starts with the Babylonian army coming into Israel, killing most people, doing untold horrors to woman folk, leveling the temple, destroying the holy city, which for the Jews represented God's presence in their land. So in their mind, God, they, they had taken God out of the land. And then Daniel and a few of the key leaders were taken back to Babylon to serve as a glorified servant in the house of the very man who had leveled their entire country. This is what happens in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. It's in your notes and it hopefully is up there on the screen. It says, Then the king, that is the guy in charge of this large army, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The Babylonian army was renowned for its brutality and its lack of humanity on the battlefield. In fact, there are stories that history tells us that I can't even mention because they're just far too brutal. There might be children here, and so I won't mention them, but all, all of us to say that they were some really brutal people. Their torture techniques were insane. I don't know, uh, some of us here know what it's like to have a really tough boss, but I tell you what, no matter how uh, tough your boss is, I bet you he's not a genocidal dictator. You know, in fact, actually, if, if at any point you've worked for a genocidal dictator, don't tell anybody. No, we don't want any hands up. You can pray to the Lord at the end and he'll sort you out. But <laughs> the call of God on Daniel's life, the same God who had placed him in a workplace working for a man that was so difficult to respect, the call of God on Daniel's life was to make that workplace as excellent and as positive as possible. Let, let that just sink in for a little bit, is that the very workplace who had committed all these atrocities, the call on God, of God on Daniel's life was to make that workplace as excellent as possible. Even from a place of relative obscurity and leadership, before Daniel had been recognized and promoted, he, de he devoted himself to wholeheartedly serving the very king who destroyed his homeland. My, my word for you today is the word from God for you today is that in every one of our workplaces, let's be people who add value as much as possible. 
at value. If your job is to sell insurance, it's, it's your, uh, adding value means selling as much insurance as you possibly can. Some of us have an issue with profit making in the workplace. Well, if God has put you in that place, your job is to generate for your employer as much profit as you possibly can. It's to add value wherever it is. You know, in the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, which uh, for most of us here would be an excellent book to read, is put out by a guy called Clay Scroggins. He says, each of us has a unique opportunity to create something right where we are. It doesn't require special authority or a fancy title or having the corner office. In other words, is that if you're waiting for God to download a position of authority to you before you start making a difference in your workplace, that time is going to be wasted time. In fact, actually, I believe that God will promote people who are already making a difference for Him in the workplace. Everybody, no matter where you are from the top to the bottom in the chain of command, has an opportunity to push their workplace forward. Waiting around for something else to happen before you can start making a difference is unfortunately not enough. A few months ago, I was chatting to a close friend of mine, and he had walked into this role in, his, uh, in a new job that was proving unmanageable. He'd walked into a very difficult role. But instead of complaining about it, which would have been in his right to do, most of us would feel justified by complaining in his situation. Instead of complaining about it, instead of criticizing the boss, instead of doing all of the things that would have been in his right to do, this is what he did. He approached the boss when the timing was right, and he approached the boss with gentleness and respect and suggested a course of action which might help remedy the situation. That course of action was to hire an assistant for the department. The boss said, well, let me think about it, and went away and thought about it and come back that afternoon saying, yep, it's okay, we can hire an assistant, which is an excellent outcome. But the amazing thing happened after that. Somebody else in the department said, you know, the person who was in this role before you had been trying to get an assistant for years, and the boss never said yes. You see, there is a way to approach confrontation that, 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 is, that we can take from Daniel's life here. There is a way to approach confrontation which actually pushes your workplace forward and makes it a more excellent, a, more, a better place to work. Daniel is the MVP, the most valuable player in his workplace. A workplace that, that was in the business of committing atrocities, but he worked to make it a better place. And I feel like from the book of Daniel, I'd just like to draw out three keys that can help us in our workplace, no matter how toxic the current situation is. And this is the first one, is to have courage with respect. Courage with respect. So this is the situation that Daniel finds himself a little later on, when he's been working in the king's court for a short time. So the king has this dream. And uh, the king, like any king, he has a, a bunch of wise men that help him with important matters. And uh, this king particularly doesn't really trust the wise men. He feels like if he explains the dream to them, they're going to kind of just make something up. You know, they're just going to, just gonna, oh, I don't, don't really know what that means, so I'll just make something up. So what he says is he says, first, wise men, you have to tell me both the dream that I had and its interpretation. 
And to kind of raise the stakes or up the ante, he said, well, and if you fail to do those two things, I'm going to kill you all, your families, and all your subordinates. So they're feeling really tense, right? Now, Daniel wasn't even one of those wise men. Daniel and his friends were, were subordinates of those wise men. And they're in a bit of a bind, as you might imagine, for two reasons. Firstly, they know for a fact that these guys could never pull it off. So they're definitely going to get the chop. And secondly, they were subordinates to these guys. So their heads were on the block as well. And so what happens when you find yourself in this situation, this is an excellent tip, very simple and very practical. They go away and they just pray. And they pray really, really hard. Like their lives depend on it because they do. Their lives actually do depend on it. And then the Lord speaks to Daniel that night and gives him both the dream and its interpretation. So this is what happens. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. So the plan is already in practice. He already knows there ain't going to be nobody coming back from this. He says to, and he, Daniel says to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. You know, Daniel gave respect to the king that the king did not deserve. The king was a very difficult man to give respect to. But Daniel chose to give him respect because he knew that courage and respect working together was a powerful way to extend influence into that workplace. Influence that would later be used to build the kingdom of God. And, and, and often we find ourselves in this trap that either we fall into one of two categories. Either we have heaps of courage and we boldly walk into the boss's office and lay all our frustrations down on the, on the doormat, right? Or we have all the respect and the gentleness and, and the kindness in the world, but we're not courageous enough to do anything about it. Uh, the call of God in Daniel's life is, and, and on, in turn on our lives is to have both courage and respect, to have courage with respect. Maybe in your role, you've fallen into a kind of situation where people look to you to make complaints to the boss. You know, you're loud and, and out there, so people kind of give you complaints for you to take to the boss. And what you need to know is that your complaints will always fall on deaf ears if they are not handled with gentleness and kindness and respect. The flip side is also true that perhaps you struggle with the opposite and, and, and struggling to make your requests heard. Let's be people who have courage to go into difficult and confrontational situations and have the courage as well as the respect and the gentleness in those situations. Now, one thought that I've kind of taken on as a bit of a principle for how I live my life is this thought that has challenged me deeply. You can either have a big old complain or you can help affect change, but you can't do both. It depends on what your perspective is. If, if all you want is to be heard, then by all means, have a good old complain. But, but if you actually want to see something shift in somebody's life, then you need to do things a little more differently. You can affect change or you can have a complaint, but you can't have both. Daniel helped save his entire department by showing courage and respect together in equal measure. The second thing is that Daniel had charisma. 
Daniel had charisma. And by charisma, I don't mean something that was already inside Daniel. What I mean is that uh, Daniel was kind of like this empty jar that God could pour his time and his resources and uh, the Spirit of God into that jar. And together with the Spirit, Daniel would be a powerful force for God's kingdom. This is what happens. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 45 to 47, Daniel has interpreted the dream. And uh, this is the final line that Daniel says. Daniel says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal the mystery. Daniel in himself wasn't able to interpret the dream. There was nothing on Daniel's life which gave him an innate ability to interpret dreams, but because he was this empty jar that was available for God's purpose, God was able to pour his spirit, his resources, his wisdom into Daniel, and Daniel, uh, in partnership with the Almighty God, was able to effect change. The Apostle Paul puts that idea kind of like this. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. To the person who's going through a tough season at work and you're feeling the pressure, maybe even as I'm speaking, you're feeling the pressure to be the force in your workplace to change it. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is within you, that at most you are, like, like Paul says, a clay jar. But inside your jar of clay is the Holy Spirit who is alive and active to change your situation. It's the power to change is not on you. It's on the Spirit living within you. So here are some practical things you can do. If you're walking out of here knowing that tomorrow morning you're going to go into a workplace or an environment which is difficult, here are some practical things you can pray for. Firstly, you can pray for clear guidance on what issues you should respond to. Not every issue requires a response from you. In fact, I've learned that there are probably only one or two issues per week that you can weigh in on. Everything else you have to ignore. So what issues is God wanting to bring uh, to your attention so that you can lean into? Guidance on that. Secondly, uh, to have some divine uh, conversations with your coworkers. Divine conversations with your coworkers. And maybe God is leading you also to change your perspective. You can pray, God, change my perspective so that I might see these issues in my workplace as you see them, not how I perceive them. So often breakthrough is simply a matter of perspective. Daniel was not someone who was afraid to be the empty vessel. He knew he was an empty vessel, but because uh, because he knew that, God was able to put his resources in him. The final thing that we see in Daniel's life, which made him stand out, be the most valuable player in his workplace, to add uh, value and a contribution to his workplace, is this, his character. His character. Daniel had the kind of character where he knew, although he knew his actions would be costly, he did it anyway because he knew it was the right thing to do. 
Daniel was a man of exceptional character. We see this all the way through the book. But particularly uh, later on, Daniel had been promoted within the kingdom and his co-workers wanted to get rid of him. They knew that he prayed multiple times per day. So they snuck a law past the king where the king agreed to say for a season, we're going to make everybody not pray to any other gods except the king. So after, after the season's over, you're welcome to pray to your own gods. But for the season, you're praying to the king. Now they knew that Daniel couldn't handle that. And the punishment for praying to some other God other than the king was death. This is how Daniel responds to that situation. Daniel 6 verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. What a man of character who didn't even compromise the way he prayed. If it was me, I would have just closed those windows. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So just close up the windows. She'll be right. All good. But he said, no, 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 no. Before I used to pray with the windows open, I'm praying with the windows open from now, even though it cost me my life. Character and demonstrating character is often costly. And you can lead people without character. We've seen all through history, there are, there are leaders who don't have the character uh, that we would want them to have. But you cannot be a leader worth following if you do not have character. You can lead people, but, but you won't lead them to a good place unless you have character. In, in our workplaces, sometimes things come up which we know to be wrong. Maybe somebody takes uh, responsibility for someone else's win. You know, they take credit for, for someone else's good idea. Maybe uh, by chance you have a look and you see that the finances for your company are not done with as much integrity as they could be done. Whatever it is, we, before we attempted to look away and actually benefit from what's going on, pretend that we didn't see it, let's be people who make costly character decisions and address the issues with courage and gentleness. I remember hearing from a guy whose first job was uh, working for a mechanic. And on his first day, Don walks into the uh, workplace and his boss says to him, uh, actually, Don, I've got a special way of doing the books. When a customer comes in, here's how I want you to record the sale so that we don't have to pay as much tax. If you always do it this way, we're going to make a huge saving on our tax. And, and the boss continued to tell Don how to cook the books in order to avoid tax. And Don went away and thought, long and hard about the situation he was in. He went back to his boss with kind of fear and trembling and said, you know, boss, I, I think you're a great guy, um, but I believe in honesty and I can't in good conscience do that. Well, the boss was really upset, as you might imagine. He, he kind of lost it and went away and kind of cooled off. But about a month later, the boss needed somebody for a promotion that he could trust implicitly. Someone who was really trustworthy, who was prepared to go in and do the right thing at all times. Well, you might imagine who got the job. You know, character is costly. God's call for you is to let your character and God's character in you shine before your workplace. Perhaps as the team come, let me show you how the life of Daniel points us towards Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is that although 
Daniel's character changed his workplace. And although I might stand up here and say, come on team, let's, let's have character, let's have courage, let's have ca- uh, the charisma as the Holy Spirit working through us, uh, that is a good message in, its, in itself. But the story of Daniel doesn't end there. The story of Daniel ends with a promise, a promise that despite how evil the uh, empire has been built, despite what kind of crazy leader is in leadership over you, God, through Jesus Christ, will bring change. Because Daniel died. And when he died, everything went back to the way that it was before. So Daniel made a massive impact on his workplace, but that impact did not last the hundreds of years which followed in the Babylonian Empire. And so we end with a promise, a promise that one day a man who's coming, who will bring influence that will last, who who will be able to change a community so that no matter how many decades and centuries go by, you will still go back to that place, stand on a bit of soil and say, because of the life of Jesus Christ, this land has never been the same. There comes a time when we need something more than just strong character to change a nation. We need the life of the Son of God. This is a word for somebody today. You've taken on the pressure of changing your workplace. You feel that it's on you and God would say to you, it's not on you. Real change, lasting change can only come through Jesus Christ. God is working in our community through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to make every injustice right. Every disability, God is turning it around for your benefit and the benefit of those around you. Every inequality in a system that seems so fraught with inequality and injustice, every inequality He will make right. We need somebody more than Daniel. We need Jesus Christ. It will all be made new through Christ Jesus. As we close this morning, do you remember the rugby player, Michael Jones? Michael Jones was one of my heroes as a kid. In fact, I met him uh, one day. Our family were up in Orpanoni and I met him with his mate, Ronnie Clark, who also played for the All Blacks. And uh, that, was, that was a great day for me as a young But uh, as a committed Christian, Jones would often share his faith publicly. And uh, I actually, I remember uh, reading about somebody asking Jones. He says, Jones, you're, uh, Michael Jones, you're a committed Christian. How is it that you can make tackles so strong? Because Jones was, he he was, he would just cut people in half, you know. He was just really intentional on putting people on the ground. And so (laughs) Michael Jones said, well, the Bible says that it's better to give than receive. Hallelujah, what a man. I remember in the late 90s seeing him play for the Auckland Blues and we were there at Eden Park after the game was over. The first thing he did was drop to his knees and pray publicly in front of thousands of people, thanking God for the game. You know, Michael Jones was somebody who captured that excellence in his workplace was required, but not enough. What was required for him was to have courage, make costly character decisions, 
when he chose never to play on a Sunday and to let the Spirit of God indwell him and make an impact in his workplace. Ultimately, God did in the rugby community, in fact, the New Zealand community, what Michael Jones could never have done. He changed a nation. Something Michael Jones could never do, God used Jones as an empty vessel to bring change to New Zealand. Let me tell you this morning that God can use you in exactly the same way. Is to have courage in your workplace. Let the Spirit of God fill you and overflow into your workplace around you and to make costly character decisions simply because you know it's the right thing to do. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pete, all this talk about God and Jesus and I'm honest, I don't really even believe in Jesus, you might be thinking. Maybe you've known Him in the past and had a relationship with God, but you've walked away. I'd love for you in just a moment to say a very simple prayer with me and with everybody else here. You know, the truth is that God loves you and He made you. He has a great plan for your life. And we all sin and we all mess up, but sin, and that sin separates us from having a thriving relationship with God. But God in His grace sent His own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And when He died, He took on Himself everything that you and I would do for our sin. He gave us forgiveness for, for our pasts. He gave us new life for right now. And He gave us hope for the future and eternity with Him. So if that's you today and you know that you've either walked away from the Lord or maybe you've never started a relationship with Him, let me tell you that coming right with God is only ever a prayer away. We're all going to bow our heads now and close our eyes and we're all going to say this prayer together. So if that's you, if you know God is calling you this morning to make things right, along with everybody else, would you just pray this prayer out loud? You say, God, today I surrender my life to you. I know I've sinned, but I believe that Jesus, you died for me. I turn from my old life and I turn to you. Come and be the Lord of my life and make me brand new today. I choose from this day forward to live for you. Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to give people an opportunity to say, yeah, that was me. We'd love to get alongside you and get a Bible into your hands and maybe even talk about uh, your next steps from here. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that was you, would you just pop your hand up nice and high? Is there anybody here this morning? Bless you, sister. God, we just thank you that you're at work here. Thank you, Lord, that like Daniel and the Iceman, Michael Jones, you are calling us to make a difference in our workplace. No matter what our role, whether it's caring for a loved one or looking after children or in paid employment, would you, Holy Spirit, be showing us where we can add the most value this week? In Jesus' name. Awesome. Come on, what a great message. Thank you, Pete. Come on, what... what?